Once again, this Shabbos, we have a double Parsha, as we complete the reading of, and the studying of Sefer Vayikra, with Parshios Bahar and Chukosai, and I wanted to share one Devar Torah on Bahar, and then one Devar Torah on Bechukosai. Bahar, excuse me, is uh, interesting Parsha, short, and it's really primarily almost exclusively one Perak, Perak Kav and then at the end of the Parsha, we actually begin Perak Kavav, but we only read the first two Psukim. The first two Psukim of Perak Kavav are still part of Parsha's Bahar, and then Bechukosai continues uh, with the next uh, the rest of the Perak and uh, beyond. But in those first two Psukim, as Parshas Bahar ends, it really ends on a somewhat surprising note. As we are told, We have all of a sudden a reference to avoiding idolatries and Avodah Zarah, and Eben Mashkis, a certain kind of stone for Avodah Zarah. You can't bow down to, you can't worship, and then the last pasuk of the parsha, observing Shabbos, of course, in fearing or having awe and respect, reverence for the Beit HaMikdash, Ani Hashem. So, all of a sudden, we have a mention of avoiding idolatry, the need to venerate and respect the Beit HaMikdash, and the obligation to observe and uh, protect Shabbos. These are all, you know, clearly important laws and values, no question about it. Avodah Zorah, Beis HaMikdash, Shabbos, you know, these are among the big ones. But it's not at all clear what they have to do with the rest of Parshas Bahar that came before it. Furthermore, perhaps even more surprising, all of these are things that have already been mentioned in the Torah. Most recently, just a few prakim earlier in Parshas Kedoshim and Perak Yotet. So why all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, do we repeat these ideas? right at the end of Parshas Bahar. So Rashi is sensitive to this problem, and he quotes here the opening, uh, in his opening comments here, he quotes the explanation of the Medrash, of Chazal, who say that this refers to a specific situation, which we read about uh, earlier in the Parsha in Parak That is a Jew who was compelled by difficult financial situation. So desperate, in fact, was he that he sold himself into abdus, into servitude of a non-Jewish master. So given, say Chazal, quote Rashi, given the inevitable religious challenges that such a reality would present, the Torah now warns that that servant, that Evid, should not forsake his tradition regarding Avodah Zarah, respect for the base of Mikdash, and especially Shabbos, even though, despite his current residence in a very foreign and presumably religiously hostile environment in his non-Jewish master's home. But, okay, that's, you know, a nice connection that Rashi makes from Chazal, but this doesn't really explain what's going on. In fact, it perhaps just begs the question, if we're worried about the religious life and uh, the spiritual health of this Ebed, so why are we spe- specifying these particular mitzvot? when presumably this is a broader message about general loyalty and a broader connection to Yiddishkeit and Judaism, something that would be more all-embracing. Why Dafka these three? So I want to suggest, uh, or share, I should say, uh, the idea of the Seforno. He offers an important, although admittedly it's only a partial explanation, but he focuses at least on Shabbos. How does Shabbos play a role in light of this explanation that Rashi quotes from the Medrash. What about Shabbos is that the Evid, you know, needed reinforcement? Why is that so necessary for the Evid? And the Svarno explains that a Evid, especially one who is 
in a non-Jewish environment, he may very reasonably have suggested or thought to himself that the Shabbos is not relevant to him. If Shabbos is all about rest and freedom, if you will, from the shackles of the work week, so this Jewish servant might have concluded that the Shabbos doesn't apply to him at all. But anyway, he's denied his freedom. And therefore, the Torah reminds us that even when he is in this other home, this non-Jewish uh, environment, he is still chayiv in Shmirat Shabbat, in keeping the laws of Shabbos. In essence, what the Sforno is saying is that the servant made a fundamental mistake. He associated Shabbos exclusively with Menucha, with physical rest. And of course, Shabbos is a day of rest. Shabbos is a day of Menucha. That is a part of it for sure. But it's not the exclusive or even the primary essence of Shabbos. This mistake that the Evan made, I think, uh, despite Baruch Hashem, we not being in anything remotely like his circumstances, but it is a mistake that I think is all too common, subconsciously sometimes. We also are prone to this error. We also translate Shabbos as the day of rest, and unfortunately, that can give us the impression, consciously or otherwise, that that's all it is. When in fact, it may also be a day of menucha, but it is really also, and primarily, so much more. One of my Rebbeim, Rav Meir Tversky, pointed out that the root of the Hebrew word for Shabbos, Shin Bet Tuf, Shabbos, is actually found in a number of other contexts in the Torah. And it's clear from the cumulative evidence of all these contexts that actually the Shoresh of Shin Bet Tuf, Shabbos, doesn't actually mean rest. It's actually incorrect. A more precise translation, or really an explanation, is more as not a day of rest, but a day of cessation. That is, it is a day when we stop doing one thing and focus on or start doing something else. When it comes to Shabbos, the seventh day of the week, we cease, we stop doing our mundane activities, the malachos and the avoda of the chol of the week, we cease from doing those mundane activities, and we begin, we commence with other spiritual, more lofty activities. We're not resting in the sense of doing nothing, just lounging around, you know, on the proverbial beach with a margarita, so to speak. On the contrary, it is a day of work, so to speak, but spiritual and uplifting and lofty work. Shabbos, therefore, remains obligatory for the Eved, just as much as it is obligatory for all of us, because its primary focus isn't that we aren't doing work, it's that we are, by not doing work, focusing on nourishing our neshama, re-energizing our neshama, and connecting ourselves to more spiritual and hopefully sublime opportunities. Perhaps there will be an impact on some level on the ability for the Eved in the non-Jewish environment to fully embrace all of the ambitious goals of Shabbos, perhaps. But that fundamental message is totally relevant to him, explains the Sforno in essence. This is what Rashi and the Medrash had in mind. You might add a Havamina. Yeah, only because you don't realize that Shabbos just isn't just about work or not work. It is about the spiritual renourishment and recommitment and rejuvenation of our neshamas and our connection to Hashem. This is not only, I think, a very nice uh, explanation of Rashi at the end of our Parsha, 
but it also speaks to a broader uh, and very relevant issue for all of us. Um, and that is, what is the essence of Shabbos? What does Shabbos really mean? And as I mentioned previously, I think that many of us throughout the broad range of the Torah community sometimes uh, fall into a trap of confusing, uh, so to speak, the Shabbos nap with the Shabbos. And, you know, even the meal uh, and for all of its uh, deliciousness and even the mitzvah. Again, <laughs> there may be a mitzvah taking a nap. There are certainly mitzvah having good food on Shabbos. But this is not the essence of Shabbos. The Shabbos is, yes, Shabbos is indeed time when, because we are free from other distractions, we can focus on developing our relationship with Hashem. Relaxation, good food, quiet family time, these are all wonderful benefits of the Shabbos. And in some of the cases, maybe even part of the mitzvah. But they shouldn't be confused with the essence of the Shabbos experience. We have an opportunity, a weekly island in time, where we can focus on these more elevated matters of the Spirit. And it really is a shame that all too often, without proper focus and religious mindfulness, some of us may waste that chance, waste that opportunity. I think for some of us, uh, Corona and all that it has wrought, uh, this may have been, for some of us, I think, uh, part of the silver lining. Um, I don't know that Corona will make it more or less likely for us to schluff uh, our Shabbos afternoon away, uh, but... Uh, you know, so often we are running around, especially uh, teenagers or other people for friends and other uh, things and not just having slow meals, slow davening, contemplative talking to Hashem and when appropriate to our family. Um, for many of us, and I know this evil is true for ourselves, uh, and I've heard from others, you know, the, the Shabbos meals, the time together, actually a lot of that has been very meaningful and somewhat even improved, frankly, um, a silver lining in the very dark cloud of Corona. But obviously the goal is for this to be something that is with us all the time. And hopefully soon we'll all be back to a close to, if not fully normal life, especially with shul and stuff, hopefully at the right time and at the right pace, when it's all safe and medically approved, uh, communities around the world will start moving in that direction. But the key is to refocus our energies and remind ourselves as the Torah does here at the end of Parshas Bahar, uh, not to make the same mistake as that Eved, but to realize what the Torah is reinforcing about the true essence of Shabbos, not just a day without work, not just a day without nagging and phone calls and the like, but more importantly, not for what we aren't doing, what we can and should be doing to uh, re-energize and reconnect to our spiritual source. Okay, that's one short idea for Bahar. And now let's turn to the end of the, the uh, Sefer Vayikra, the last Parsha, Parsha's Bechukosai, which of course is most well known for the terrible, terrible uh, curses and predictions that are included in the, the Tochacha, that like the section of Psukim, which vividly, unfortunately, very vividly, describe the horrible calamities that will befall Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, if we don't listen to Hashem, if we don't follow Torah and mitzvot. And in painfully rich detail, we are told of the multiple punishments that will be meted out under such circumstances. Uh, what is important and what's interesting, I think, is that for all the doom and gloom, the parak ends uh, on a high note, parak kavav, as we are told that Hashem will remember us even when we're in exile, and that no matter what, we will never be rejected. These are the concluding psukim, psukim memdalid and memhei, at the end of the parak. What is, uh, I think, 
striking and what I want to focus on for a few moments is the posuk that is the transition, the transition from the doom and gloom to this uplifting conclusion. And that is posuk membeis, in which we focus, as the Torah often does, on Hashem's remembrance of our forefathers, of Zuchos Avos. The Torah tells us, God says, I will remember the covenant I made with Yaakov, I remember the covenants I made with all of your forefathers. Now, what is what I want to focus on specifically is something that could not you cannot appreciate just by hearing those words. Rather, if we exa- specifically examine the Torah text, you open up a Chumash, if you open up a real Sefer Torah, in this Pasuk, the name Yaakov, the Zacharati Esbrisi Yaakov, Yaakov is seemingly spelled incorrectly. Now, it's not spelled incorrectly because that's how it's spelled in the Torah, but it is spelled surprisingly differently than every other time. We know that Yaakov is usually spelled Yud Ayin Kuf Bet, yet here the Torah spells in our Pasuk, in our Parsha, the name Yaakov is spelled with an extra Vav. Yud Ayin Kuf Vav Bet Yaakov. And, you know, this is, you know, really, you know, if you're reading the Psukim, this catches your attention. If you're looking, paying attention to what you're reading. So, yet again, we see Rashi quoting from a Medrash, sensitive to this. And the Medrash acknowledges that, in fact, that's correct. And all of Chamishay Chumshay Torah, this is the only time that Yaakov's name is mentioned, where it's spelled with a Vav. However, the Medrash continues, there are actually four other times in Nevi'im, not in the Chamishay Chumshay Torah, but four other times in Nevi'im where this spelling is used. So for a sum total in Tanakh, five times, five times out of who knows how many hundreds, five times that the name Yaakov is spelled with a Vav. The Medrash continues and tells us that these five times that Yaakov is spelled with the extra Vav correspond to five times in Tanakh that Eliyahu Hanavi, his name is spelled unconventionally without the Vav. Aleph Lamed Yud Hey Vav, the final letter Vav is the way we would usually typically spell the name Eliyahu. Five times, even though we pronounce it Eliyahu, but his name was actually spelled Aleph Lamed Yud Hey, without a Vav. And the five go with the five. The Medrash further suggests that this is not just a coincidence, five here, five there, but in some metaphoric sense, the Yaakov Avinu, so to speak, took, as it were, the extra letters that were missing in Eliyahu's name, those five extra vavs, Yaakov Avinu, so to speak, took them for himself as a mashkon, as an arevun, as a guarantee, as a collateral, so to speak, that Eliyahu, who we know traditionally is known as the Mavasir Hagula, that Eliyahu is going to be the one who will herald the redemption, who will herald the geula, and therefore Yaakov, on behalf of his children, who he knows prophetically will go into Galus, will go into diaspora and dispersion and servitude, will be kicked out and exiled from their land. Yaakov you know, holds these five extra vavs, as it were, as a guarantor, as a guarantee, as a mashkon to Eliyahu Navi, so to speak. Do your job, make sure that you don't forget to redeem my children, and only then will I give you back your extra, your missing vavs. Yaakov's five extra vavs are the ones he took from Eliyahu in those five times as a guarantee, as a collateral to make sure Eliyahu is the mevaser geula. Of course, you know, once you kind of process this, it seems, uh, it is, I think, actually quite beautiful on some level. Uh, but, you know, if you think even a little bit, obviously it seems inexplicable. 
what in the world is it talking about? What does that mean? I mean, it obviously can't be taken literally. I don't think that's a controversial statement. I don't think uh, that Yaakov Elio had a discussion up in Shemayim somewhere uh, where they handled over this or the Yaakov, you know. Obviously, uh, this is, again, these are divinely inspired and prophetic decisions. The Torah is written, Hashem told Moshe how to write the Torah. That means Hashem told Moshe to take Yaakov's name and spell it with an extra vav in our parsha. And the Nevi'im five times where Yaakov has extra vav, the four times the Yaakov has extra vav, some total five. Or the five times Elio is missing the vav. Those are all Nevuos that were written with prophecy. So obviously, you know, so to speak, this is coming, if you will, uh, from the top, if you will. Uh, so clearly there's a point. Uh, and the Medrash Chazal understand that there's really a connection. What is that connection and what does it have to do with Geula? And why would that be found of all places in the Torah in this transition pasuk that takes us from the curses and the punishments of the Tochacha and transitions us as we prepare for hopefully the brachos that are conveyed through this chosavus at the end of the parak? So I've seen, I don't remember where I first saw this and I don't know that it's necessarily even only one safer or one mafarish uh, that explains it, but this is not my own chiddush. I just, forgive me, I don't remember where I first saw this. Uh, I guess we could say Darshanim explain, you know, Mafarshim explain um, in the following way that perhaps this is connected to a different statement of Chazal that in the Medr- the Mishnah, excuse me, in Masech the Idios, in Idios in Parachet Mishnah Zayin, the Mishnah actually discusses and describes what is the primary task of Eliyahu Navi at the time of the Gula. What will his job be? Let's get a job description. It's nice that we always talk about Eliyahu in such. Uh, you know, wonderful and you know, happy and celebratory uh, terms, the Mavasar, the Gula, what exactly does that mean? What will he be doing to bring this Gula to herald the redemption? And the Medrash tells us that his primary function will not be to settle thorny questions of Halacha, of Tum and Tahara, Chayiv and Potter, Asr and Mutter. That's not the Tishbi Yitarets, the Teku. That is not his primary role at the time of the Geula, but rather, says the Mishnah, la'asot shalom ba'olam. The primary goal is to finally, finally bring shalom to the Jewish people and shalom to the entire world. For so many millennia, so many centuries, we individually as Jewish people and the broader world, ravaged by war, death, persecution, machloket, sinna, and the Messianic period will be one of shalom. Is It is, in fact, yes, a utopian vision. We're not there yet. Halavai, we don't have utopia now. But there is a vision of such a thing. And Elio's job primarily is la'asot shalom ba'olam. Well, if that's the case, then perhaps we can go back now to the, med- the, the medrash that Rashi quotes here in our parsha parsha B'chukosai. And perhaps by focusing on the vav that Yaakov took from Eliyahu as a, a collateral for the redemption, perhaps the deeper message that Chazal were trying to convey <clears throat> is as follows. The letter vav, grammatically in its use in the Hebrew language, has multiple possible uh, usage uses. But one of the most popular and well-known usages of the letter vav is that it can serve as the vav hachibur. The letter Vav connects words. So if there were otherwise two independent people, or otherwise two independent places, but if there's a Vav HaChibur in between them, the Vav connects the former to the latter. That is something which we're all familiar with. 
happens, I can't even imagine how many, how many times in biblical text, and of course it has a similar connotation in modern Lashon HaKodesh and modern Hebrew as well. The idea of Vav HaChibor. <clears throat> One of the ideas of a letter Vav is it's a letter of connection. So perhaps, therefore, we could suggest, and it has been <clears throat> suggested, on a deeper level, the letter Vav represents the power of bonding, <clears throat> of Chibor, of bringing people together. That's the essence of the Vav. And if we take that approach, then we can bring it all together. <coughs> Excuse me, a little bit of a cough there, something caught in my throat. <coughs> Perhaps we could tie it all together and suggest as follows. Yaakov understood that given Eliyahu Hanavi's ultimate mission of La'asos Shalom Ba'olam, a mission of peace, that we would need the power of the letter Vav, that we need to bring that Geula, to nudge, so to speak, Elio along, we need a little extra dose of that Vav HaChibor, of that connectedness, of that togetherness, so that we should be worthy of redemption. Perhaps by holding on to, as the Medrash says, holding on to, proverbially, metaphorically, that letter Vav, Yaakov was in effect making the statement that he, and hopefully we, as his descendants, understood that pursuing the ideal that Eliyahu exemplifies of Shalom Ba'olam, by pursuing that, by holding on to the Vav, by focusing on Chibor, by focusing on connectiveness and connectivity with other people, that that is the greatest guarantee, that is the greatest mashkon, that is the greatest arivut, that is the greatest guarantee for Geula, rather than simply waiting passively, hoping that Eliyahu will show up, which he will, but rather, like so many uh, great tzaddikim and Jews have done throughout the centuries, we try to understand through the lens of the Torah, through the lens of Chazal, what is Eliyahu, so to speak, looking for? What is Hashem waiting for to bring the Geula? And no question, there are countless sources, the Mishnah Idios, which we quoted only being one of them, countless sources that speak about the idea of Shalom, of Achtos, of a lack of Machloket, etc., etc. And we need to or we certainly think that it makes sense, it's certainly reasonable to assume that the more we can internalize and already actualize those very characteristics and those very values, so then hopefully that will be uh, a little bit of a nudge to hopefully get the Mavasar Hagula Eliyahu to come sooner. The more we're holding on to those Vavs from Eliyahu, the more we're holding on to that Vav Achibor, the more we're embracing the value that is symbolized by the Vav, hopefully in living our lives, creating communities based on that value of shalom, hopefully there's no guarantees, but that would seem to be the most likely way, if not certain, but likely way, to make sure that Eliyahu does in fact return to be the Mavaser Hagula. And here too I'll just uh, conclude uh, with the following, you know, He'ara, uh, the following observation, which is not original, it's not mine, and I think I've, I've seen this before, I've read about it, and I am, I'm hoping and imagining that many of you have felt the same thing. In our current period, there's a incredible paradox that as much as we're physically distant, socially distancing is a new phrase that has been introduced uh, to the world lexicon in various languages. In Hebrew, they use the term. In English, they're using the term. Um, and we're physically, you know, certainly, especially two two months ago, and even now, although thank God it's getting less in many parts, especially in Israel, but still, we're physically very much apart. 
And at the same time, I think that if you ask many people throughout the last two months, they will tell you um, that in many deeper ways, if not physically, but emotionally or spiritually, uh, people have felt more together, perhaps, than usual. Uh, unfortunately, as is often the case when there's a common enemy, in this case the invisible enemy of the virus, uh, that often makes people feel you know, connected, everyone's in the same boat, uh, every, the stakes are high for everyone, plus we've been beneficiaries of the, the brilliance of the modern technology, whether it's Zoom or uh, YouTube Live or Facebook Live or all these other things, uh, which have allowed people to connect in very deep ways, and while I think that a lot of us are starting to run out of patience and you know, it's, it's getting harder as it gets longer, but still, uh, I've noticed this uh, in my own family, in my own Dalai if you will, but even in my classes through Zoom or other things, uh, certainly, it, certainly at first, I think it is fraying a little bit now, which is understandable, but certainly at first, I think as much as we were physically apart, we very much did feel that Vav HaChibor. And uh, hopefully, as uh, we conclude uh, for those of us who have minyanim, such as in Israel and perhaps some other places in the uh, diaspora, where, where most of us are already davening now, at least in Israel, with minyanim and hearing laning, and for those of you who are not yet able to do that safely, um, then hopefully in your studying of the parsha over Shabbos, uh, we're coming to the conclusion of Sefer Vayikra, and hopefully by completing our study of Vayikra, our reading or studying in private, and our going through the difficulties that we have recently, the difficulties that are described in painful detail in Hopefully we are getting ready for the flip side of that. Hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel is starting to seep through. And the transition that we make from the darkness to the light through that Vav HaChibor, as is hinted at here in the end of our Parsha, in the end of Sefer Vayikra, we will continue to embrace and hopefully even enhance and improve on that so that hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel will not just be the end of the virus or the return to life as normally previously lived, but uh, why not hope for even better than previously lived? Hopefully, if we can work on ourselves, hopefully Hashem will see fit uh, as soon as possible to bring Eliyahu, bring the Mavasar Geula, La'asos Shalom Ba'olam, and we will be happy, happy to return those vavs to Eliyahu when that time comes. May it happen speedily in our days. Wishing everyone a wonderful Shabbos.